Hi, everyone. Uh, you might not recognize me. I'm Guillaume Ross. I'm head of security at Fleet. And I'm replacing uh, Chris this week because he's on uh, vacation. And I have the pleasure to introduce you to Rupa Parameswaran, who is uh, CISO at Amplitude. So Rupa, nice to have you here. How are you doing? I am doing very well. Thank you. Really a pleasure speaking with you today, Guillaume. So I would like to talk to you about different things today, including your um, your path into security, how you discovered security, and what made you want to become um, a CISO. Uh, one thing I noticed that's interesting in your uh, in your career is that, unlike I would say many of us that have been in security for a while, you actually studied something that is relevant to uh, cybersecurity. When when many of us went through school that didn't really exist or didn't really exist everywhere, or we accidentally ended up in security, we never really prepped for it. So that's super interesting to me. So can you tell me a little bit more about your uh, um, educational background? And I know you've, you've done a lot of studying in advanced uh, security related things. Um, with pleasure, with pleasure. Um, in fact, my security journey, as you, as you pointed out, started off with my PhD thesis way back when. <laughs> I cannot even remember the year right now, but um, I the way it started out was um, I joined um, Georgia Tech um, for for doing a master's in distributed systems, critical systems. Uh, in fact, uh, nothing to do with security. But um, my uh, PhD, my thesis advisor at the time got a um, got funding from um, from the Air Force Research Labs to work on data anonymization or privacy preserving data mining. And uh, he uh, he reached out to me and he said, hey, um, no, you're not considering a PhD right now, but maybe you want to take a look at this, see if it's interesting, something you want to work on. Um, so I read the proposal, um, loved the idea, seemed intriguing enough and uh, decided to go go forward with a PhD and never turned back from there. Uh, and that was pretty... Is in the privacy preserving data mining, and that's that, where that, we that are. was pretty like uh, advanced, right? For the time, that's something that uh, as is barely becoming a common topic now, right? The people who work in, in privacy, we have been talking about it for a little while, but it, it seems like uh, you were on the on the bleeding edge uh, with that. So, is that something that you you think is ironically going to start becoming more and more relevant in your career now than it was uh, back then? Absolutely. At that point of time, uh, there were two papers, research papers, and uh, one uh, one really noteworthy paper by Latanya Sweeney um, about uh, reconstructing even obfuscated data, and that's about it. I mean, privacy and data protection was such. I mean, it was greenfield at the time. Um, and it took about 10 years for it to come come up to mainstream. And uh, with the GDPR and the CCPA, um, I see it becoming more and more important, more and more prevalent, hoping to see more companies work on things like privacy, homomorphisms and homomorphic encryption and things of that sort, not just for HIPAA and healthcare data, but uh, beyond that. Well, that's that's super interesting. I just know so many people who ended up in security kind of accidentally after being developers or working in IT and then working on security projects. And, you know, first thing you know, you're now a security person, but you really set out to do it um, earlier. And it goes to show that sometimes these types of uh, 
research you know, can be really useful because you're looking at things that the industry is not going to to look at, right? It's something that I don't think companies saw privacy as a um, you know, marketing advantage like 10 years ago even, right? So it's, um, that's, uh, that's very interesting. And then what made you uh, want to become a, um, a CISO, a chief security officer in, in these different types of companies? Was it so you could um, have the most impact as possible on as many people with these, uh, these different ideas of preserving uh, privacy and helping secure data? Um, good question. And if you look at my my journey, I started off as a developer um, soon after grad school, uh, and I've, I've played every role, which is like a, being a developer in a security company to doing security in a um, in in the enterprise in a SaaS based business to uh, wearing multiple hats, right? Going from an architect and then managing people. Um, heading up security. And through the years, I've learned a lot of things in terms of how to interact with people, what makes security tick, what, what's thwarted upon in terms of security. And oftentimes, security is considered an afterthought. And more than that, security is considered an annoyance, something that needs to be done to get that checkbox of compliance. And uh, that, to me, was frustrating at first and I never understood why people just wouldn't get security and just do things securely from the ground up. That's when I realized there's a lot of education that needs to go in um, to, <clears throat> to talk to people. And it's important for security professionals to learn how to speak the language of the business, yeah. uh, to communicate with the business leaders, with the individuals about uh, risks about like real issues, see how you can enable the teams and enable the business by doing security and call out wins and influencing people. And I realized early on that I had the ability to influence where um, <clears throat> now being a mom, it's very important for my kids to think it was their idea, not mine. Oh, exception technique. Thing happens even in the business, right? You need to make other people realize and want to do security as opposed to tell them you have to do this, you have to do this. Right. Well, it's about incentives also, right? So a lot of exactly. developers, if they're told, oh, you got to create these five features in the next two weeks and no one um, above in the org uh, really believes in, in, in anything related to quality, right? Like security is kind of like one facet of, of quality, but you'll see the same thing with uh, QA in, in, in general. If people are not incentivized to do it, then it's not, it's not going to happen. So I think uh, you're definitely right that being able to negotiate and do that inception kind of thing where you make people think it was their idea to do something, that's perfect, right? Because then they'll implement things in a way that suits them the most, right? You don't have to enforce a specific solution on them. And that's when people get creative and, and do uh, do their best uh, their best work. So do you feel like because you've been a, a developer, you have... Um, an easier time dealing with uh, like engineering orgs where you know what pain they feel day to day when they work. So you, you won't, for example, uh, let's say I've never worked in an engineering company. I've never been a developer. I can show up and just tell people like, oh, why don't you? You know, why don't you just? That's usually a bad sign when someone says, why don't you just? And then they don't have to really even listen to you because they feel like you don't know what's going on. Uh, but in your case, they can't do that. You've been doing that job before, right? 
Absolutely. I mean, it does help. Um, I will admit, uh, I do. Uh, uh, and and it, it's a trade-off though. It's, um, it's about, I, I can develop, I can make changes. So people would just expect the security team to do all the work for them um, as opposed to learn and grow. Um, but at the same time, uh, it's, I, I feel the pain. Having been there, I understand a lot about um, where security can be uh, a friction, um, a friction or like a, a drawback, right? And, um, and which is where I go out of my way to, to find the right training, the right kind of uh, tools and technology that enables the teams where things are interactive, which is where the shift left term is something I love today, where it's like, I'd, I'd rather teach the engineers or the developers how to solve the problem rather than make it my problem and tell them, come to me, I'll review, I will fix. That I'll doesn't scale, it, right? If there's, yeah. you could have, well, I mean, some investment banks have security teams of thousands of people, mm -hmm. but you know, they still have incidents they're huge right. targets, right? And, and so when you and work... It also in, introduces a delay, right? As in like, if you exactly. have a security team, you'll need a complete waterfall model. And that completely fails in a SaaS-based business, which is agile, right? Where mm -hmm. you do not want another person to hold the gate for you. Well, I think for a lot of, like, especially startups, I think one mm -hmm. of the biggest risks is actually going out of business because you don't deliver features and then you don't get customers and then you don't get funding, right? So Absolutely. if you go out of business, then you don't have anything to secure anymore. So it's a, it's a balance that, you know, you, you have to strike. And it's one of the reasons why, um, like, I prefer usually working in smaller organizations where things are super... Um, malleable, I would say, right? Like you can make a pretty significant change, but it's not going to take forever. But sometimes, you know, I've worked in enterprise a lot before and there is something that I did really enjoy about, you know, the large security projects, right? We've got 60 data centers, 100,000 uh, different people. And I know you've worked for a lot of different companies. So what do you like the most about working in, in the big ones versus the uh, the smaller ones or the newer ones? Um. That is a difficult question. Uh, I think it, in every company that I've worked at, <clears throat> uh, worked at, uh, the key part is challenge, right? Uh, this is the nature of the challenge changes. Uh, in <clears throat> let's start off with with the small ones because that's that's something I'm quite passionate about. Where uh, there's always room to build out and um, grow out the security program in a way that is a business enabler. Right? whether it's building out security champions, whether it's having lunch and learn sessions, whether it's teaching people how to code, also learning new technology and languages um, and so on. So those, those are some things that I find really exciting and interesting. I can go speak to, to anyone from, <clears throat> some, uh, from, from the CEO all the way to an engineer and just my the language may change, but I'm able to communicate with them and get, get things done and uh, the engineer may have a solution for me so he he would he or she would be talking to me about a conference they attended and a technology that they saw that was cool and then I can take it and go from looking at it to implementing it in a matter of a month if not yeah. sooner as opposed to a large company where I would have to get buy-in and uh, and have a long 
roll out plan, see where it fits into the schedule. Maybe a year or two later, I'll be able to roll it out and see. Yeah, a lot more uh, effort spent planning. Right? Exactly. Um, at the same time, the, the part about... Um, the, the nice thing about a large company is if you want to... Um, if you, there's, there's already a precedence for security being important. So, so it's, it's, people understand a lot easier. There's lesser time uh, spent on convincing people. Uh, because it's, there's already it's, an established program. It's more it's about making things yeah. better than starting from nothing. Exactly. So it's okay. just a matter of like teaching people how to do it, what to do, and so on and so forth. And you already have a team that's the, the hiring and, and so on becomes a lot easier because you're already established. All right. Talking about teams, you did mention um, like security champions. Um, it's a model that I've, that I've seen um, probably for the first time like 10 years ago, but it was not really common. I think it's becoming more, uh, more common now. Um, how do you feel that helps in, in you know, the, the hiring uh, space where it's almost impossible to hire talent right now, but maybe you can delegate as much security as possible to the people that actually do the work, which mm -hmm. sounds like the best place where to do security to begin with anyway. Right. Um, good question. I mean, don't get me started on hiring, please. It's just so difficult. I mean, every time I tell... Um, I tell my team, is it we put out a headcount, uh, we have a job wreck out there, it'll probably take six months to a year for me to get that filled. Uh, but at the same time, uh, I believe in training and uh, teaching engineers to, to become security champions. And the added benefit there, at least uh, that, that I provide as part of the, my rollout plan is we teach the security champions to become security engineers so that if they want that as their career path, they could use, they could go that route okay. too. So, so someone who's them. already a developer or working in yeah. IT who's interested in security, mm -hmm. check out if your org has a security champion program because if mm -hmm. you can get on that, you're essentially gaining security experience without changing jobs mm -hmm. as well as the skills. It, absolutely. And then since security engineers are, I mean, are, are hard to get, I mean, once they're looking for another job, they're, they'll be hot in the market. Yeah. Do, do you have uh, like some, some tips for hiring that you've used that uh, have worked before that you're willing to disclose? Maybe you want to keep them secret. Well, there's, I, I'd say uh, it's especially for application security engineers. Um, I, I would choose a good developer who's security minded over just a security engineer who doesn't know much about languages and development. Because for any application security engineer, it's important for him or her to have the skills to be able to communicate with the engineering teams and the engineers, all of who are very smart at their jobs. So in order to be able to prove to them, show them what, how to do things right and fix things for them, you need to be able to speak that language. Right. Oh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. It's something I've done in the past with a pretty good level of success as well. Where, mm -hmm. okay, we're going to work on new authentication, authorization, or or something like that. Whoever is the engineer that's the best at doing that kind of stuff usually is pretty close to being an uh, an appsec engineer with uh, yeah. a little bit more training if they are interested. So mm -hmm. if you're if you're a developer and you want to move to security. If you're involved with anything that you're involved with things that relate to security all the time, so 
that's definitely a, a path you can take. And then in terms of, of hiring, I feel like um, I, I'm in Canada, so the the market is quite different. I almost always end up working for American companies, though. Mm-hmm. But since COVID, especially, there's so many people are so much more open to working remote that I've been lucky, for example, here at Fleet, we're 100% remote in like almost any country. Mm-hmm. So that, that helps a lot when we try to hire where we're not restricted by... Uh, geographic uh, circumstances and the other one you know pretty much everywhere where I've been is I would try to get people who are more junior and then train them up right Mm -hmm. as soon as you've got enough senior people you can do that I feel like tell me if you feel the same way but a lot of people who work in security everyone's talking about the talent shortage but Mm -hmm. most of the companies out there only want to hire like senior principal and staff engineers right Right. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, but for, for what, that, what, what what matters is you need at least one of them. Um, you need to start off. If you're bootstrapping exactly. your program, you do need a, a senior a staff engineer, um, either from the outside or someone who's a senior staff engineer who you can train and tune, uh, who already is is well versed with security in the company itself. Right. And then you can, once you have uh, established security as a credible program, then you can hire more and more junior folks in the team because you have one chance to prove your credibility at any company with the engineering teams yeah. um, or with whatever business teams, right? Um, so you want to have smart people who can answer questions, who are able to communicate, who's able to demonstrate, who are able to, to explain why security needs to be done the right way and to do it for the others. So when right. there's a brand new, let's say a company that wasn't doing much security, mm-hmm. for whatever reason, they they start to get serious about it. Usually mm-hmm. it's because there's been an incident, but maybe it's just yeah. like new management. <laughs> then it, it's like if you're looking for a job, for example, and you know a company didn't have a security team before, mm-hmm. then maybe your chances of, of getting in right away if you have less experience are, are going to be lower because they're looking for someone who can kind of uh, mentor you and, and help level you up in terms of skills before they're going to look for the more junior people. So people mm-hmm. looking for jobs, if they have less experience, it's probably a good idea to look at companies that already have a mature security program. Right. Or nearly, or, or, or almost there, right? It's important to read the, the resume, uh, the, the job rec carefully. Um, if it clearly says senior or staff, then um, they're probably looking for seasoned people already, right? Um, if, it, if it just speaks about like experience or you need to have these skill sets, uh, it's, the recruiter can tell you oftentimes how big the security team is. Yeah. So um, I would say don't feel shy if you're if you to apply to jobs, but ask the recruiter the questions. Right? Uh, how big is the security team currently? If the recruiter says we're still building it out and it's a team of one or a team of two or even a team of five, ask very specific questions in terms of would they be willing to to hire someone junior uh, who's who's skilled at development uh, at application development or infrastructure. Um, as code development, uh, would they would they consider that? Um, and the recruiter can, for the most part, answer that those questions. Yeah, that's um, that's an important one to try and get as much information about the organization as possible before. And that might also mean, like, one trick that I like is to read 
other job descriptions that are not necessarily related to security, right? Like, oh, they're also hiring uh, developers and architects and so on. And you know, sometimes security people will say, oh, we shouldn't share that much information. But the reality is you want to know what technology a company is, is using. It's almost mm -hmm. always in the, in the job descriptions. Yeah. So you can kind of get a feel for how mature um, a company will be by reading these, these other job descriptions, right? And if you see, mm -hmm. it looks like a, a shop that's using only mainframes and AS400s and you, don't, you want to work with uh, containers and Kubernetes, well, then maybe that's not the right spot for you. Mm -hmm. Unless maybe there's a big project to migrate from one another, which would be amazing, uh, amazing experience uh, to gain. And then what about people more on the operations side, right? Like, let's say I'm really interested in incident response, mm -hmm. but I, I don't have a lot of experience in security. Maybe I have a, a few skills more on you know, offensive security. There's a lot of resources online and you can yeah. do a lot of stuff on your own, but incident response it's a little bit harder, right? There is a lot of stuff online, but you've never really done it until it happens to you for real. Right, right. So for incident response, I um, think it's, again, I would, my, my mantra is it's important to have at least one person who's, uh, who's done this a few times. If you don't, I would say start off with a contractor, contract someone, um, and then have them educate or like work with um, a junior SOC analyst who's uh, who's willing to learn, right? Um, and then have them get trained on the job. And that's that's one way to do it, right? As in where you're learning, doing a bunch of uh, tabletop exercises are are how I would I would put put it together, right? As in have the security team do on call uh, for instant response tabletops. And that's how I build out my team. Right. Everyone needs to know how to respond to an incident. Um, so we, right. and we have before you have real bad. Incidents, exactly. Right? So people are not, you know, uh, that's when you make mistakes. Absolutely. We have to do it for compliance anyway. So why not have fun? Why not learn? Uh, come up with tabletop exercises. There was a uh, phishing attempt reported by somebody. Let's see what if it was real. Right. I mean, le let's see how far one could have gone. Let's play it out together. I mean, MITRE has enough frameworks that you can choose one per month. And I challenge my team to come up with ideas um, once a month that we can play out and then extend that to to stakeholders outside of the Oh, team. so you kind of like a suggestion box, but yeah. for uh, for tabletop exercises. Absolutely. Yeah, I like that. It's like, uh, what's that Twitter account uh, that, that posts uh, crazy uh, tabletop thing right. every day? Well, if I remember it, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll put it in the chat. Mm -hmm. But now once you've built a team, um, what's important if you want to retain that talent over time and not have to, like you said, it can take like six months, for example, to hire yeah. someone. If people leave after six months, then you should continuously be hiring for when someone leaves, right? And that, yeah. that's a problem that a lot of companies have. Mm -hmm. So do you have any recommendations for that? Uh, career growth uh, and Professional growth is, is what I would say. Is it first of all a healthy team, right? It's important to make sure the every individual um, is is feeling um, feeling like they're they're important, right? Uh, that they are a core part of the team. They're adding value, and to keep checking in and having these conversations, uh, and, and it takes time. To, to build a, a strong relationship, but it's important for managers to, to put in that time and effort. 
um, both in during one-on-ones as well as in team meetings, right? Make everyone feel like they're being recognized um, and feeling and hearing them out in terms of what they want to do. There are some of uh, uh, some engineers, I mean, some people on the team like to do more policy compliance stuff. Others like to do more of nitty gritty. Hey, I want to become an architect here. I want to learn more. I want to learn more about technology. I want to go to a conference. I want to present in a conference. Um, so nurture those, uh, those asks. Keep those in mind. Um, give kudos, not just within the team, but shout out to your team members um, in front of the company as well, if they've done a good job, um, it goes a long way, right? The engineers are, and anyone on your team needs to feel good about what they've done. Take feedback, positive and negative. Give them feedback timely and often uh, is also important. And even at team meetings, some of the things that I, I mean, one thing I start off with is um, tell me one thing that you loved this week. And one thing that you were that annoyed you the most this week, kind of like a mini retrospective, uh... right? Uh, five minutes, you got to finish up. No more time. So each one, we go around the table with these. So it makes you think a little bit about like, hey, I did this, and that was awesome, and it makes everyone realize that you've done such such a good yes, job. Sometimes you you forget, right? We do so many things, especially um, in in smaller teams. People mm-hmm. are pretty often like less specialized, right? You're not going to work on only one technology. You're going to mm-hmm. work on many different things. And that's something that I, I realized working in, in startups, for example, uh, you have a week where you're like, ah, this, this week wasn't good. We didn't get anything done. What are we even doing? But then if you take the time and really look at like, okay, what did we do in the last three months? Mm-hmm. Then it becomes um, pretty impressive, right? So it, it's right. a little bit like that, uh, I think it was that uh, Bill Gates quote where he says, we always overestimate what we can do with technology in a year, but we always underestimate what can be done in 10 years. Right. We'll lose track of time with all these, uh, you know, 62 security projects, audit time comes around and it feels like nothing is moving. So that's, that's really interesting. And I really like the idea of um, tweaking how you deal with every individual mm-hmm. based on their ho- their own personality or, or preference, right? Like you said, for example, some people might want to talk to a conference and that they feel like that's good for them. That's good for their career. Um, they're, they're creative. They want to do that. But some other people would just completely dislike that idea. And it's like the last thing they would ever uh, want to do. So you really, you need to know who works on your team and, and what they like if you hope to retain them. So I guess if you don't have that level of relationship, it's kind of lost in advance, right? Mm-hmm. As soon as they see something that looks a little bit more interesting, then they have no attachment. So it's that, that relationship is key. Right. So any, is there any technology? We've got two minutes left. Any technology or change or practice that's, uh, that's happening right now, becoming more popular that you're looking forward to seeing more of in the next uh, couple of years in security? Ah, uh, yes. Infrastructure is code security. Yeah. That uh, it's unfortunate that it's still lagging behind so far where um, application source code scanning, then uh, depend about scans and all of this has gone such a long way. Infrastructure's code security is still struggling, but I really hope we get good technology. We see more and more good technology rolling in uh, that just removes the alert fatigue 
but is really usable and useful. Yeah, for that's really uh, key to me is immutability, right? If you have mm -hmm. something that's immutable, then you you know what to expect from it. You reduce that that set of alerts that can trigger mm -hmm. from it. And sometimes I wonder, like, it's actually getting pretty good on the server side, right? You can have mm -hmm. containers with almost nothing in them, and you run them there and you monitor them. But we're still all using laptops with these operating systems that take like a hundred different gigabytes that are, can be configured in. 50 different ways that are pretty hard to track. So I know there's Chromebooks that are becoming more popular, but I, I wonder when infrastructure as code is going to start becoming more of a norm for end user computing. Mm -hmm. So absolutely, I, I, I wonder about that sometimes. So thanks a lot for your time, uh, Rupa Parmeswaran, uh, Head of Security Architecture and Operations at Amplitude. I think I said CISO earlier. Sorry about uh, messing up your, your title. And uh, thanks everyone for, for watching. And where can uh, they get in touch with you if they have uh, questions, follow-up questions, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, or anything like that? Yes, uh, my uh, LinkedIn profile would be perfect. Perfect. All right. So we'll send people there. And thanks, everyone. Have a good afternoon. Have a good afternoon, everyone.